We're going to be reading from Romans 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us about your character and how you would have us live to glorify you. I pray this morning for the preaching of your word as it goes forth, that it would convict and allow us to be more sanctified and conformed into your image. I pray for the Spirit, Father, to empower that this morning. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. It's good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Aletheia. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time, uh, welcome to the church. We're glad to have you guys with us. Uh, feel free to come up and introduce yourself to me um, after the service. I'd love to meet you. Um, and if you want to know anything else about the church, I'd love to share um, with you guys kind of what God's doing and where we're heading and what we, um, what we believe God's going to be doing in the future here uh, through the ministry. So uh, I want to take a second, though. Um, I got a call yesterday. Um, from uh, Ruben, our pastor down in Barranquilla, Colombia, um, letting me know that one of the volunteers that was helping them lead the ministry in Las Flores uh, passed away on Friday suddenly while playing soccer. Um, from, from my understanding, he had just like a massive heart failure. Uh, he's got a young kid and a wife. Um, and so he's going to kind of get uh, more information uh, to us later, kind of as we hear more about that. But um, this guy was, you know, in the throes of Las Flores, which for those of you guys that have been to um, Barranquilla with us is the, the, the place we um, did ministry this past time around. So for those that went with us last summer, uh, that was the place we were at primarily uh, doing ministry. And so uh, if we could just take a minute and pray for the Monos team, um, they're pretty shaken up 
this weekend. Um, pray for the family. Pray for Reuben and Mariana as they're trying to, to pastor and shepherd people um, through um, this loss. So if we could just take a minute or two to pray silently by yourselves. Pray for Reuben and his family. Pray for Alumbra uh, and pray for Manos. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at the word this morning. Let's pray. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you guys for, for doing that. And um, if you want to know more about what's going on down there, please let me know. We're actually going to be taking a mission trip down to uh, Columbia again in December. Um, so if you're interested in that, Mario's around here somewhere. Mario, where are you? There he is, back there with the blue shirt on. Mario's going to be leading a trip. We're actually going to go. This is. I'm really excited about this. We're going to be down there for their big Christmas party, which you guys know we do a big toy drive for them every year. And we're going to actually be able to be there for it this year. So if you're interested in going to Columbia, you don't need to speak Spanish. Um, I mean, my Spanish is terrible, and we still make it every time down there. Mario makes fun of me every time we're down there. Although, let's, like, I can understand Spanish pretty well, except for Mario's. <laughs> Mario's Spanish is terrible. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm just going to call you out. <laughs> the Colombians speak your language way better than you do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though you are Colombian. I don't know what happened to you. <laughs> Anyway, um, if you're interested in that, we'll be doing that trip in the middle of December. Uh, obviously, we'll be doing the toy drive again as well. Um, but if you're interested in hearing more about that, see Mario. We, he can give you more details. We're trying to get that planned well ahead of time this time around so that t uh, we can get tickets early because they're going to be more expensive that time of year. Uh, so we want to make sure we do that. Okay. All right. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 14. That's where we're going to finish up this morning. Uh, we've got about three weeks left in the book of Romans, and then we'll be done. And uh, I, I mentioned to you guys last week um, that all of Romans 14 is just one giant discussion um, on uh, how Christians are to engage in difficult topics with one another. Uh, the, the great thing about the book of Romans is the first eight chapters are, are very, very uh, doctrine and theology focused, and then you have about two or three chapters that kind of deal with some, uh, a little bit more doctrine and theology, but also deal with just a, a particular kind of question that had arisen in the church at Rome on, on how we view Israel and how we think about uh, God's chosen people uh, that were not uh, following Christ. Uh, but then, right, once you get to, you know, chapter 12, you start getting into really, really practical application of what we saw earlier 
in Romans 1 through 8. So in light of all that God has done for us, in light of his grace and his mercy and his election and his sovereign choice for uh, his people and because of the doctrine of eternal security, all those things that you see Paul kind of expound upon in the first eight chapters of Romans, when you get to Romans 12, you see Paul saying, okay, in light of that, live this way. In light of God's grace and love and mercy and peace towards you, live this way. And so basically what we've been seeing is how do we love others well? I mean, if we could just sum it up, we just had to say, hey, one sentence to sum up Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14, that we could sum it up. How, How are we to love well? How are we to love as God first loved us? How do we display that? He talks about how to love your neighbor well, how to love your enemies well, and how to love one another in the church well. And he expands upon that. And so inevitably as Christians, believe it or not, guys, we are going to disagree on some things. If you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you can look at the person next to you, you can look at the person behind you, look at the person in front of you, take a look, nod at them, say hi, you know, whatever you want to do. You're going to have a disagreement with that person at some point. It's just, it's human nature, it's going to happen, right? There's a tendency for us to do everything we can to uh, try to uh, stop disagreements amongst one another, right? But eventually, at some point, you are going to disagree on something. And the same thing was happening at the church in Rome in the first century, because human beings existed in the first century, And so there were disagreements going on within the church. And so Paul starts Romans 14 off by saying, look, here is my charge to you on how to love one another well in the midst of disputes and disagreements. Now, we need to make something clear because the types of disagreements that Paul is talking about in Romans 14 are are issues of preference and disputable issues that are not specifically described in Scripture. Issues that the Word of God is silent about, okay? And for those of you guys who say, what do you mean the Word of God is silent? What I mean by that is the Bible is sufficient for all things, but not exhaustive in all things, right? I don't know, Kevin. Okay, you would never open up the Bible to get directions on how to do open-heart surgery, Okay, if you were a surgeon and you were going to do open heart surgery on me and you walked in pre-op and said, hey, Kevin, and I said, Doc, it's great to meet you. Where did you get your studying from? He's like, well, I went to seminary and I have my Bible and I'm going to do open heart surgery on you. I'm going to look at him and say, I love you, brother. Do not touch me. Because I want you to actually know how to do open heart surgery. The Bible is silent on that. Right? And when the Bible is silent on something, right, we need to have the awareness and the understanding of that and begin to kind of tread with caution as brothers and sisters, if we are a member of the church, the body of Christ, on how to walk through those issues and those discussions. And how we engage those discussions with one another when we do not agree is super important. 
It may seem like it's not a big deal, but it is. Last week I shared with you guys an example of the church that I grew up in, that back in the late 90s they were starting a contemporary service, and by modern standards it would not be considered a contemporary service today, but they were trying to just get something going there. And as they were doing that, uh, many of the, the more traditional Uh, worshipers at the church that preferred that style of worship started calling the people that would go to that church the hippie service or the hippie Christians. And there was a great disagreement between the leaders of the traditional kind of wing of the church and the more contemporary wing of the church on what it meant to properly worship God and what that was supposed to look like inside of a church service. And they were bickering back and forth with each other, and it was causing fights within the church. And I just remember as a young man who did not know the Lord yet, do you know what that disunity did for me? It created in me even more distrust and animosity for the church. Because here, you know, I would sit there, and they would read from the Bible, and they would talk about God's great love for one another, and then they hated each other. It's like, well, this isn't a place where we can see the love of God put on display. This is a place where there's a bunch of people out for number one, them. And God's glory was not put on display because of the disunity and the arguments amongst the church. And if we get this wrong, guys, as a church, if we get this subject wrong, if we fail to to figure out how to listen to the word of God and love one another well, when we fail to stop passing judgment on one another over matters of dispute or preference, or we inevitably communicate to the world around us that we are a people of rejection instead of acceptance. We communicate that we are a place of judgmentalness instead of a place of grace. We communicate that we're a place of contention instead of a place of peace. And we communicate that we are a place of fear and rejection instead of a place of hope and understanding and encouragement in Christ. That's what's at stake. This isn't just a matter of like, hey, we need to get this right because God's word says this. This is a matter of getting this right because it's a matter of displaying God's glory as his bride and his church. And failure to do this isn't just a failure to listen to the word of God. It's a failure to make much of your Savior who died for you. It matters. It matters deeply. And so Paul, knowing that this is an issue within the church at Rome, engages them. And I said last week, right, their issue was this. Is it okay to eat meat? Right? Seems kind of crazy, right? Why would we argue over that? Right? Why would we argue over whether it's okay to eat meat or not? And I said... It was a real issue, though, for them because many of the people in that church grew up Jewish. And as Jewish, there was kosher dietary law restrictions. Meaning if you spent the first 50 years of your life following kosher dietary restrictions, being told all of a sudden that that's not a big deal anymore is going to matter to you. Some of the people that were involved in this church had been involved in idol worship at the temples of Rome. And the meat that was sacrificed there was later sold in the marketplace. Well, if they came to Christ, they would have a major problem eating that meat because their conscience would not be clear because that meat had been sacrificed to idols. And so you had, right, two separate groups who were like, hey, I'm free to eat whatever I want because Christ himself said it was okay, right, that only out of the heart comes all evil. And that there's nothing that God created that is actually in and of itself unclean. And yet my conscience isn't clear about this. And so there was arguing amongst them back and forth. And Paul says these two groups, he gives them two separate names. He calls the one group the weak in faith, and he calls the other group strong in faith. 
the weak in faith were the ones that thought that eating was wrong and sinful. And the ones that were strong in faith thought they were free in Christ to eat and enjoy the meat and, and, and partake of it to the glory of God. That, that, those are the, the two groups that Paul presents. And so last week, we looked specifically at Paul's charge and direction to those who were considered weak in the faith. Those that were saying, eating that meat is sinful and rebellious towards God, and we're creating a, an environment of judgmentalness and, and a, an environment of unwelcomeness and an environment of, of pressing and, and being oppressive to those around them, right? As Paul would say in Galatians, binding them back up from what Christ has freed them from, right? That's kind of the environment that was, what was there. So, he, so here's what Paul needed to address with them. Right? If you weren't here, here's, here's the major talking points on, on what Paul said to those that said, hey, I don't think eating meat is good. I think it's wrong. I think it's sinful. He said, number one, in verse three of Romans 14, he said that acceptance before God is always based upon God's choice, not our performance. So he's reminding them, hey, hey, remember how you were saved, Right? God's good, finding his good pleasure in you was based completely upon Christ, not your own performance. Please remember that. Please remember why God has chosen and adopted you and accepted you into his family. It has nothing to do with whether you eat meat or not and everything to do with the finished work of Christ. Please, please let's remember that. Let's keep that in view. Instead of arguing about the meat, let's dwell on the things that Jesus has done for us and the promises that he's given us on, upon his return. Number two, he said to remember this, that we are actually free in Christ to eat meat if we choose to do so. Jesus himself had said it, and Peter as well in the book of Acts has this great revelation as well. That he says, hey, look, biblically speaking, there's freedom. Scripturally speaking, there's freedom here. The third thing he says is to remember if you are one of the people that in a particular issue, so if we're gonna go back to my example earlier of the traditionalists in my church versus the contemporary worshipers, if you're the traditionalist, right, and you're the, weak, the weaker Christian in this case, and you think we can only worship God the way that we have in the past, right, remember that God is judge and king, not you. That God decides what right and wrong is, and God decides whether someone is living in open rebellion and sin towards him, not you. And then the last point he kind of put across was this. He reminded us to remember that although we may have come to a conclusion on whether something is right and good or not, we are fallible and finite and therefore prone to be wrong. No matter how convinced you are on the truthfulness of something, you might be wrong. And so he charges them then to instead of worry about creating better arguments to support their position, he says, look, I, I think you guys should just rest in Christ. Find your hope and your peace in him. Remember that those that are partaking in the eating of meat around you are still your family. They're brothers and sisters that Christ died for. Whether you agree or disagree with them on the, the, the merits of something, they're still a brother or a sister that Jesus shed his blood for. And that judgmentalness often creates disruption in fellowship. Therefore, stop being so judgmental and remember who they are. And then lastly, <laughs> this is the part I love, he's like, focus on you. You need to worry about yourself. 
right? I, I shared this example last week that my two kids right now, like whenever we discipline one, the other one swoops in and says, so if I say, Gideon, stop doing that, Josiah, yeah, Gideon, stop that. It's like, dude, you're three. And then if I get on Josiah about something, right, specifically like Josiah will, will get on Gideon after I've said something, then I'll say, Josiah, you worry about you. Stop trying to discipline your brother. Guess what Gideon does? Yeah, Josiah, you worry about you. I'm like, dude, both of you, stop talking and worry about yourself. That's what Paul says to the church. Like, dude, you're messed up. Worry about you. Right, as Jesus said, get the plank out of your eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's. Right, and so this was Paul's charge to the, the ones who thought that eating meat was wrong, the weak Christians as he calls them, right? The weak in faith, right? This week, right, verses 13 through 23 are gonna deal with the strong in faith, the ones that think that they are free to eat and partake in meat, right? If you, if you find yourself being in one of the two camps, because most of the time we tend to fall in one of them, right? If you were last week were here and you're like, oh, I'm the strong Christian, good, I can do whatever I want. Mm-mm. You're gonna get yelled at this morning. Right, because God's word has something for you as well. Right, so let's look at verse 13. Look at what he says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So he, he starts off by finishing one last charge to the weak Christians. He says, stop passing judgment on one another. By the way, that can go to both sides. That can go to the strong and to the weak. He says, stop condemning. Stop judging one another. And then look at what he says. He just says, if you feel that you are free to partake in the eating of meat, to use some of our examples here, if you feel like you are free to partake in listening to contemporary worship music, Right? One of my other examples last week was dancing. There are Christians that believe that dancing is sinful and we shouldn't do it. I believe that dancing is terrible because I'm terrible at it. But I have no personal conviction over the, the sinfulness of dancing in and of itself. Right? If you think dancing is great, free to do so. I can't find anything in scripture that says dancing is in its, of itself sinful. But if you think dancing is sinful, you probably shouldn't partake in it. Right? And Paul says, look, if you are weak and you think that dancing is sinful, don't partake in it, but don't judge and condemn those that, who, that will dance. And then he says this, if you are strong and you feel free to partake in dancing and enjoying it, never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. That word stumble there is the Greek word proskuma, and it means literally to fall. Okay, and so what is Paul saying here? He's saying this, if you feel free to do something, that choice to partake in whatever it may be in that freedom has the ability to lead someone else to potentially sin. You tracking with me? Your freedom can actually lead another brother or sister into sin. And therefore, it needs to be taken seriously. Right? It's, a, it's a bold declaration, right? Because is Paul actually saying, are you responsible for that person's sin or not? No. Right? Yeah, every individual is responsible for their own sinfulness. But 
The charge of the church is that we walk with one another in a direction to be edified and grow in our love and our affections for Jesus Christ. And if you might do something and partake in something that's going to point someone in the opposite direction, you're failing. You're failing to love one another the way that Paul talked about earlier in Romans chapter 12. And so here, here is what he's saying, right? Here, here are two ways, by the way, that if you, if you feel strong in your faith and your freedom to do something, that your decision to partake in that, even though someone has maybe come to you or addressed you and said, hey, I don't like that you do that. I don't know how I feel about that, that you still partaking in that thing can cause problems, right? Number one, right? I talked last week about those that are weak in, in faith, that they tend to have a critical and judgmental spirit. If you choose to partake in that, in, in that thing, so in this particular instance, eating a meat around someone who thinks that it's wrong, guess what you're going to do? You're going to arouse a critical spirit in your brother or sister. You just are. If you know for a fact that they don't like that you're eating meat and you choose to eat meat around them, guess what you're doing? You're inviting them to judge you. You are. Right? Now, I see this all the time, right? Because in Western culture, we are very individualized, Right? All of us were told that we're little rainbows and we're the most important person on the planet and that you can be whatever you want and you can do whatever you want and you can be whoever you want to be and no one can tell you otherwise. First of all, that's kind of a lie. Second of all, right, in that teaching, right, we then fail to ever lay down or surrender our own rights or preferences. And so oftentimes, I'll see these issues of preference crop up and most of the time, neither side is even that convinced in their argument. They just want to be right and win. See, it's like, someone, like alcohol is a major issue for some people. Right? The scriptures in and of itself don't prohibit partaking in alcohol. Now, there are prohibitions on how much alcohol, but there's no prohibition on alcohol itself. But there are some people that are convinced over this, how terrible alcohol can be. I know people that will drink a beer around people that think that it's wrong just to irritate them. Oh, I'm free in Christ. I can drink this beer. No, dude, you're, you're irritating and rude and, and trying to frustrate someone else. Yeah, you're free. You're also free to stop being a jerk, right? Because by definition... Right? You are going to irritate the person who doesn't think drinking alcohol is okay. And by doing it in their presence, you're going to arouse conflict and disagreement. So there's one way that you arouse your brother or sister to sin if you're strong and you choose to partake in something around them. You're going to arouse them to be judgmental and critical. Why would you do that? Then on top of that, here's the other way you can do that. For those that are not convinced that they are free to do something, if you encourage them to partake in something that they are not convinced of their freedom in, right, you can actually lead them to damage their conscience. I've seen this in the past, okay? Like, I myself, right, struggled with alcohol abuse early on in college and then came to know the Lord. And... One of the, the biggest struggles I had right, was being around other Christians that thought that drinking was okay for a season. 
and would drink around me. Not that alcohol in of itself was the problem. I was the problem. But here was the issue. I couldn't control myself once I started. And so their unwillingness to lay down their rights and their preferences of enjoying a beverage around me actually caused me to sin at times. It caused me to fall back into old patterns of drunkenness that I had found myself in. Were they responsible for my sin? No. It was still me. I still made the choice, right, to overdrink. But the reality is, is that my brothers and sisters could have done a lot for me by just refusing to have alcohol around me. And I eventually had to remove myself from some of those friendships for a season until I could get myself under control and see some victory there and some consistent patterns of behavior. Right? So Paul's charge to the strong Christian who, who believes they're free to do these things is to lay down your preferences for the sake of those around you. That you love one another well by laying down your freedom for the sake of others. Right? My friend and, and, and mentor, uh, his name's Dave Prophet, he does not drink alcohol at all. And uh, I remember he hasn't really, in reality, gone into a ton of depth on whether he has personal issues with it. Or, though he has said to me, like, I, I don't see any prohibition in Scripture in and of itself. But he would always just say to this, it's like, Kevin, I've been ministering to college students primarily for the last 25 years. What are college students' number one tool of destruction most of the time? Alcohol. He said, look, I'm going to resolve not to partake in alcohol simply because I want to be an agent of encouragement to them and I will lay down my preferences and my rights to help them and be an encouragement to them. Guys, if, you, if, you, if, if you're still struggling with this, that's what Jesus did. Jesus laid down his rights and his privileges for your sake. The, the, the language used in Philippians chapter 2 is he emptied himself for you. And that he took on the form of a slave for your sake. Meaning, this is the pattern we see laid before us by our own Savior and King. One of laying down our freedoms and our rights and our privileges so that we might encourage one another to follow after God. Now, again... Paul is not saying that eating meat is wrong, right? And he makes that clear again in verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. All right, throw Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 up there for me. All right, look at what he says. He's, Paul says this, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Meaning that if you're in Christ, you are presented before the Father holy and blameless. Meaning that there's nothing in and of itself that, that can make you unclean because you are spotless and blameless before God's presence because of Jesus. Right? He's convinced of this truth. And yet, he says... Eating meat is not wrong, but we must take care as to do it and decide whether it is wise to do that around our brothers. So, let me ask this question. 
How does participating in the eating of meat or and, and maybe our modern day example, uh, listening to contemporary worship music or dancing or drinking of alcohol or any other freedom we may have cause others to stumble? Look what he says in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, you by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Look at that. I mean, that's strong language there. By choosing to eat or flaunt our freedom when another person struggles is not only not loving, it destroys the work that God is doing in them. We're called to love one another. Because everything that Paul has talked about in the last two chapters of the book of Romans Using your freedom to do something at the expense of another is not authentic worship to God. That's what it's always billed as, right? I'm free to do this. It's worshiping God. If your freedom comes at the expense of someone else's worship, it's not worship. It's harmful and sinful and unloving. Choosing to participate in this can actually destroy that work is, that God is doing in someone's life. Now, let me, let me pause there, right? Because that's strong language that Paul is using, right? Let me read it to you again. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That's strong language. Okay, let me, let me, let me pause there and say this. He's not saying that you can call someone to lose their salvation, it's not saying that, right? Look at Rome, go back to Romans chapter 8 with me, right? Read verses 38 and 39 with me. Look, this is a promise of God to us from Paul. Let me read it to you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, you, you cannot destroy God's choice of somebody. You cannot destroy the work of Christ on the cross. You can't do it. You can't undo what Jesus did. But he mentions that we can destroy the, the work that God is doing in someone here in verse 15. He also says it again in verse 20. Well, let me read that to you. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Right, so what does he mean by this then? He means that you can destroy or hinder the process of sanctification in someone else's life. How many of you guys have done the gospel-centered life uh, material with us in here? Raise your hand. About half the room. Meaning we need to do it again because half of you don't know it and I think it's profound and probably outside bi the Bible one of the more important things you'll ever read as a Christian. Okay. God, the, the Gospel Center Life is this workbook that we've done at various times over the, the course of time here as a church to kind of disciple one another. And basically what the book is describing is the process of sanctification, how someone grows as a disciple of Christ. And the way that it kind of presents uh, itself to us is through what's called the gospel grid. And it's an image. And the way that the image works is it says if, if, if time is linear, we're kind of moving at time, and then there's a point in time where, boom, we are converted, and we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, and we become a born-again believer in Christ, that that moment of conversion happens. And at the moment of conversion, two things should be happening in the life of every believer after your conversion. 
One, you should be growing daily an increasing knowledge of who God is and his holiness. Right? That's why we do things like pray and meditate and, and read scripture right? and spend time in community. We're trying to learn more about God and who he is and his goodness towards us so that we have a bigger image of how big God really is. And at the same time, as our view of God increases, what should also be happening is that as you grow, as a Christian, you should have an increasing awareness of your own sinfulness. Not that you should be sinning more, but your awareness of your sinfulness increases. What that means is, is for me, right, when I first became a follower of Jesus, right, the big things I wanted to stop doing was to stop sleeping with other women, to stop being addicted to pornography, and to stop being addicted and abusing alcohol. Those are the big things. I was like, God, you got you to get these things out of my life, right? And once you do, I'll be clean. I've, I'll have it all together. Well, there was a problem, right? I saw victory and freedom from those things, and guess what? I kept sinning because it was like an onion, as the layer was peeled off, there was still more there because the problem was me and my own heart, right? And my desire to sin and not the symptoms of that sin. The deeper sins were my deep love of self, not abuse of alcohol. I abused alcohol often because there would be an issue where, hey, I'm not getting my way or someone's not worshiping me the way I think I do, so I'm going to abuse alcohol to medicate myself. Or I might sleep around because guess what? I'm the most important person in the universe and these women must think that way as well. Right? I used those tools to worship myself. And once we start peeling back that layer, I continue to worship myself. And once I became a follower of Christ, guess what? God just kept pressing me. Like, dude, you're way more messed up than you think you are. It's a lot deeper than alcohol abuse. It's a lot deeper than pornography addiction. You want to love and worship yourself and be your own God. And guess what? He loves me too much to let me do that. And so what should be happening is that in this growing view of God and this growing awareness of my own sinfulness that I realize even more today than I did 12 years ago when I first started following Jesus how much I need him. Because I realize the depth of my own sinfulness and the magnitude of who God is and the cross looms larger for me today than it did when I first believed. And Jesus means more to me today than he did 12 years ago because I know how messed up I am even more today. And by God's grace, 30, 40, 50 years from now, I'll realize it even more. That's how we grow in sanctification and unto God. But that if we exercise our freedom without taking into account our brothers and sisters around us, our choice to partake in that freedom can actually lead to someone else having a smaller view of God or an improper view of their own sin. If someone believes eating meat is sinful and then we try to just spend time talking with them about how it's okay to partake in that, you may, whether you realize it or not, be reducing their view of God's holiness instead of whether that's actually sinful or not. And you can be leading a brother or a sister into a diminished view of God. That is what is at stake here. 
And when he says that we can destroy what God is doing, he means that we can inevitably cause their growth as a disciple to diminish or slow in maturation. And so he says in verses 15 and, and 16 and 17, even up through verses 18 and 19, he says, you have forgotten if you are willing to exercise and flaunt your freedom in front of a brother who thinks that something is not okay, you have forgotten what is more important than your freedoms in Christ. And look at what he says in verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. It's like, look, by, by doing that, you're inviting judge mentalness. You're not loving your brother well. You're allowing that something that is actually free and good to partake in be thought of as evil because of your unwillingness to bend or surrender your freedom. And then he says in verse 17... That for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but what? Of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning, guys, Jesus did not die so that you could enjoy a beer. He didn't. Some of you guys in this room need to hear that this morning, by the way. Some of you guys are laughing because this isn't a struggle for you. Some of you guys need to hear that. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could have a beer. He did not die on the cross so that you could go to a dance party. He didn't die on the cross that you, so you could listen to Hillsong and not have to listen to old hymns anymore. He didn't die on the cross so that you could eat bacon and not be a vegan. Right? The kingdom of God was brought to us by Christ so that you might pursue righteousness and peace with him and joy in the Holy Spirit, not joy in alcohol, not joy in dancing. Guys, those things are tools to worship him, not worship those things. I can promise you, if you are fighting with another Christian over a matter of personal freedom, you are neither seeking peace or joy in the Spirit. You're not. And the number of times I see brothers and sisters fighting over matters of personal preference when they never should in the first place, it breaks my heart. People come to me, Kevin, like, what do you think about alcohol? I don't, don't get drunk on wine. What do you think? I don't like it. Don't do it. What do you think? I think I'm free to do it. Do it and be wise about it. Well, shouldn't we study this for weeks? No. Paul spends about 23 verses on it. We don't need to talk about it for six years. I, I've got friends from college that still want to debate this stuff. Dude, I'm old. I've been out of college for a decade now. Can we stop arguing about this, please? I've got two kids. I don't have time to argue about this with you. Go read Romans 14 and relax. Right? Paul says, you have forgotten what it means to follow Christ if you care more about these freedoms than you do about seeking joy and peace in the Spirit. And, and he says in verses 19 and, and, and verse 18, if you want to have peace with fellow brothers and sisters, sisters, even in the midst of disagreement, do these things, right? Look what he says. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue what makes peace. Pursue what's going to build one another up. Do things with one another that are actually edifying. Don't seek arguments. Seek encouragement. He also says to accept one another even if you disagree. There in verse 18. Let me read that again. Whoever thus serves God is what? Acceptable to God. And approved by men. Meaning, hey, if God accepts someone as a brother or sister because they are in Christ, guess what? You better approve of them. Because God is judge, not you. And that word accept there in verse 18 and, and approve, excuse me, that word approve there by men means you bear with them. So let me translate what Paul is saying to those of us in the room that believe that we're free to do something and we're around someone that drives us crazy who's always telling us that everything is wrong. Here's what you do. All right, you ready? Deal with it. You deal with it. You love them. You refuse to fight them about it. You refuse to engage in arguments about it. You agree to disagree. And then here's how Paul brings this home. Right, let's look at the last four verses here. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Don't blow up a church over dancing or alcohol or meat. Or for the sake of some of us that grew up in certain churches, for the sake of what color the carpet's going to be in the sanctuary. I'm not kidding. I've seen churches that split over the color of a carpet. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's why we have tile in here. <laughs> Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but look. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. One final reminder, guys. Everything is clean, but don't partake of it if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. And this happens with music a lot. It does. It's crazy to me. Right? It happens a ton. Right? And because Jackie's on the worship team and is musical and actually understands music and I don't, right? we end up having like a lot of discussions about this type of thing. How many guys are, are you guys familiar with that song, uh, Good, Good Father? I hate that song. Here's the deal. Some of you guys in this room really love that song, though, and it helps you to worship. It does. I, I don't know how. can't figure it out. But it does. It causes you to worship God. Right, I remember, like, that, that, that song came out, and people were talking about it, and I'm like, why do people like this song? It's terrible. Like, it's awful. It's, like, not theologically rich. 
It sounds like someone started singing a song and then like the recording equipment went out so they just played it over and over and over again. I don't get it. Who sings that, by the way? Is it Chris Tomlin? He's never going to want to come to this church. But like here, like, here, like I, I, don't, I don't get it. I do not get it. And some of you guys in this room, I know for a fact you love that song. And like, here I am, I'm like bashing this song to Jackie. I'm like, this is so stupid. Why, why would someone sing this? This is the worst song ever. And Jackie's like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? There are people that worship God and see him more as their heavenly father by singing that song. Who are you to pass judgment on that? I'm like, dang, girl. <laughs> All right, I'm out. Right? It's like the holy hammer of justice was just dispensed. Jackie does this helpful job of reeling me back in and reminding me like, hey, look, just because you don't like a song does not mean that someone else cannot find it good and helpful and worshipful. Now, if the song was singing about Satan being a good, good father, then, right, then we would be like, no, bad. But God is a good father. It's who he is. And you're loved by him. And that can help some of us see him that way and worship in this. And the goal of us as a church is unity and edification. And I will let you sing that song if it is going to allow you to be built up and grow in your affections and your love for God. Because that is what I want for us. I might not sing it with you, but I will sit there and I will enjoy the fact that you enjoy it. I will. And we will worship God together that we can agree to disagree on that song. So, Paul's gonna list how we do this, right? Two practical ways to promote unity both for the strong and for the weak. Right, it's how he finishes up chapter 14. Right, verse 22. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Let me translate verse 22 for you. Keep your personal opinions to yourself and civil. Pretty easy. Right, if something is a matter of personal preference or opinion, keep it to yourself and keep it civil. Right? I gave you guys my opinion on good, good father. And then I also gave you my opinion on why Jackie told me I was wrong. Right, keep your opinion civil. I, I'm the first one to admit that I can struggle with this. Right? My dad used to tell me that I should be a lawyer just because I love to argue. I, by the way, I don't think that makes someone a good lawyer, but maybe it does. I don't know. Right? Lawyers have to like, actually learn things and study and like, know stuff. That could have been a problem for me. But Paul is saying, might we press one another to address these disputable areas and to focus on a way to be charitable in those discussions. And if you can't be charitable, keep your mouth shut. Those of you guys that have been around long enough to know Derek and I's relationship with one another, it's strange. But it's actually really good. Because Derek will just look at me and say, Kevin, shut up. 
and it can be like the most holy thing I can hear. And sometimes I'll just look at Derek and be like, you're being an idiot. And it's what Derek needs to hear. I say that to you a lot, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Something the, sometimes the best thing to do, guys, I know this is hard when we have Facebook and Twitter and we can have an opinion on everything, is to be quiet. It is not worth blowing up the body of Christ over a matter of preference. Preference. 